Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Congregational Care Minister Keith Maloney. here. Our lead minister, Colin Packer, is away today and has invited me to, to speak to you this morning. <clears throat> I want to start with a real simple question. Who is God? Several years ago, uh, Oprah Winfrey was interviewing Diana Nyad, the 64-year-old swimmer who swam from Cuba to Florida in a 53-hour solo swim. And they were talking about things and conversation turned to God. Nyad said, well, I'm not a God person. Said she was an atheist. But she said, I can still stand at the edge of the ocean and look on nature and marvel at the awe and the wonder and the majesty. And Oprah replied and said, well, I don't call you an atheist then. I think if you believe in the awe and the wonder and the majesty, then that is what God is. Is that God? Now, the creation, or the Bible tells us that from creation, we can tell something of God. We can understand something of what God has done in that. But to suggest that that's all there is just indicates how vague and nebulous a lot of people's concept of God is today. If you believe in awe and wonder and mystery, then that's God. Colin, we're continuing our connected series on the Holy Spirit that Colin is in the middle of. And he asked me today to talk with you about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. A very simple, lightweight subject. But before you roll your eyes or raise your eyebrows and say, okay, that lets me out. Hang in here for just a minute, because I think not only is understanding the Trinity, who God is, and how the Holy Spirit functions within that is important, it has significant impact in our lives today. Biblical scholar by the name of A.W. Tozer once observed, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why would he say that? How could he make that claim? Well, it's pretty simple. You see, who we understand God to be, how we view God, shapes the way we see everything else. It shapes the way we see the world. It shapes the way we see our neighbors. It shapes the way we see ourselves. It, it influences how we see our past and our present and our future. It, it, it impacts everything. It's... Who is God? 
Is God an angry judge just waiting to condemn us? Is he a benevolent grandfather-like figure who is just waiting to hear us give a wish and then grant it? Is God an impersonal force like they tell us in Star Wars? Or is God just wonder and awe and mystery? Well, to begin with today, we want to go back to a man named Jesus walked the dusty roads of Galilee. And he went around saying things like, I and the Father are one. Now, we're accustomed to hearing Jesus say that kind of thing. We don't think a lot about it. But to a thinking Jew in the first century, that was about the most offensive thing anyone could say. Because you see, they had grown up all of their lives for generations before reciting the great Shema that we find in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And for this radical and unconventional rabbi to come along and suggest that he and God are one, well, they didn't like that. They wanted to kill him for it. In fact, in John 10, they say, we are stoning you for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Well, it's understandable why they would feel that way because when Jesus spoke, he spoke with the authority of God. Jesus took the right to do things that only God could do, like forgive sins. Jesus obviously saw himself as one with God. And yet, he never claimed that he and the Father were identical. To the contrary, he recognized the two different persons they were. He, he prayed to the Father. He spoke of the Father as if he was someone else. And at the end of his life, when he was on the cross, he says to the Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Well, the more emphatic the early church became, those followers of Jesus, that Jesus was God, the more they dealt with, they struggled with trying to explain how this experience they had had of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, could be reconciled with what they had always believed and still believed that God was one. Well, it gets even more complicated though, because on the day of Pentecost, just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit came into people and miraculously dwelt within them. So they had a very clear understanding that God wasn't just out there somewhere, but he lived inside them in the form of the Holy Spirit. And from that day on, Christians understood. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 and verse 9. He says, you, however, are, not control, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So the Holy Spirit is also involved in, in our experience of God without being identical to either the Father or the Son. The Bible clearly speaks of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And yet throughout its pages, the Bible still emphasizes that God is one. 
No wonder followers of Jesus struggled with trying to get a handle on this, to understand it. We still do today. Some have tried to uh, give an analogy of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit by comparing it to, to water. It can be in solid form as ice or liquid form as water or vapor form as steam, but it's still H2O. Or others have said, well, it's like what we get from the sun. The sun radiates light and heat and energy, but it's all from the sun. But no example found in our experience, in our universe adequately can describe the intricate complexities of a transcendent God. It's just not going to happen. Well, the church eventually distilled their belief in the Father, Son, and the Spirit into two short statements. They concluded that God is one in essence, but three in person. When we say these things, we mean the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but they are not three gods, but one. Some people say, well, if you believe that all three are gods, then you have three gods. And they, they trot out a, a mathematic equation to demonstrate. They say one plus one plus one equals three, and suggesting one plus one plus one is absurd. That's just nonsense. But we don't believe that there are three gods. We believe there's one God. And we also don't believe that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all parts, are pieces of God. That God, the Father, is one-third, and the Son is one-third, and the Spirit is another third. We believe all and each of them are completely God. <laughs> well, the explanation is rather simple, yet profound. You see, you and I live in a three-dimensional world. All physical objects have height and width and depth, and we're limited by time and space. God isn't limited to that. He exists beyond this universe that he created and the laws that govern it. That's why Jesus could say that he, was the, he and the Father are one. If you're going to use a mathematical equation to describe it, it's not one plus one plus one. It's one times one times one equals one. But that doesn't even begin to describe who God is. Now, if all of this is starting to make your head hurt, don't get discouraged or frustrated. It's important to remember what a really wise man named Augustine said all the way back in the fourth century. He said, if you can comprehend it, it isn't God. And I think that's the key. You see, in the final analysis, you and I as humans trying to comprehend the complex, intricate transcendence of who God is, is tantamount to a, a cricket trying to understand all of the, the subtle nuances and intricacies of a human being. It's not going to happen. It's not that the cricket doesn't know that we're there. It's not that the cricket doesn't realize that we exist. But the cricket has no capacity to comprehend the intricate complexities of human existence. And in the same way, we cannot comprehend all there is to know about a transcendent God. The biblical understanding of God 
is different than that of any other faith, including all monotheistic religions. If we could peel back the layers of time and space, if we could dial back into before the world was created, before anything existed except God, what do you think we would find? Well, I believe the answer in a word is love. And that's nothing new. You go, well, of course, everybody says God is love. Everybody's heard that. I like the way C.S. Lewis describes that. He says, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement, God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, God was not love. You have to have a lover and a beloved, a one that gives the love and one that receives the love. You have to have more than one for there to be love. And John clearly tells us in 1 John 4, 8, God is love, always has been. But if God is with only one person, then love, even divine love, couldn't exist before creation because there was no one and nothing to love. That's led some to incorrectly believe that God created humans because he was lonely and wanted or needed someone to love. That's not true. Kevin DeYoung describes why God created people. He says, with a biblical understanding of the Trinity, we could say that God did not create in order to be loved. They're created out of the overflow of the perfect love that had always existed among Father, Son, and Holy ever live in perfect and mutual relationship and delight. The Christian vision of God as revealed in Scripture tells us that before there was anything, there was love. Because at the foundation of the universe is not matter or laws or energy or will, but relationship. We believe in a relational God, a God who has existed forever in perfect loving relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Before there were planets or stars or galaxies and long before there was you or me or anyone else for God to love, the Trinity has been a community of perfect love. And I think that's an incredibly accurate definition of the Trinity, a community of perfect love, a community you and I were both created and are invited to experience. I believe if you had to sum up in a single word what God is up to in creating the universe and every person who inhabits it, that word would be community. Now, this business of community turns out to be something far more significant than just a network for emotional support. It's not just about avoiding loneliness. It's the reason the universe exists. It's the reason you and I exist as well. In the words of Dallas Willer, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. <clears throat> the idea of the Trinity 
turns out to be vitally important because it tells us that God has been experiencing community from before the foundation of the world. It's who God is. Community rooted in the being of God. You ever wondered what life is like inside the Trinity? We don't see much in the Bible about that because the Bible is preeminently concerned with our relationship with God, not God's relationship within himself. It's worth considering. Do you think there's a lot of uh, discussion or disagreement or argument that goes on between the Father and the Son and the Spirit? <laughs> My wife and I occasionally have difference of understanding about our expectations of whose turn it is to do various household chores. You know, take out the trash, empty the dishwasher, whatever. Do you think the Father and the Son and the Spirit get into an argument about who's the most omnipotent or most omniscient? Who has the hardest job of the three? I don't think so. I think Frederick Bruner has hit on the reason for this in a description of how the Holy Spirit operates. Here's what he says. One of the most surprising discoveries in my own study of the doctrine and experience of the Spirit in the New Testament is what I call the shyness of the Spirit. What I mean here is not the shyness of timidity, but the shyness of deafness, the shyness of a concentrated attention on another, shyness which we often experience, but the shyness of an other-centeredness. It is, in a word, the shyness of love. You see, when the Spirit comes along, the Spirit doesn't focus on himself. It's not about how great and wonderful and majestic the Spirit is. But he focuses on the Son. He comes in the name of the Son. He bears witness to the Son. He gives glory to the Son. That's what Bruner's talking about, about the shyness of the Spirit, deferring to the Son. But then when we look at the sun, we see the same kind of shyness. He didn't walk around saying, I'm the greatest. Listen to the spirit. I'm the greatest. Listen to me. He said, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. He said, I've come to lift up the father. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give myself. He submitted to the Spirit when the Spirit led him into the wilderness after his baptism. And then at the end of his life, as he was praying to the Father in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You see, the Son had a shyness of deference about him as well. And then there's the Father. When we think about the Father, we see the same shyness. Only twice in all of the synoptic Gospels, we read about God speaking, about his voice coming from heaven. And both times he says essentially the same thing. First at Jesus' baptism and then at his transfiguration. He says, this is my beloved son in who I am deeply pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. 
And he didn't follow that up by saying, oh, and then after you listen to him, be sure you don't forget me. Don't get too caught up with Jesus. Listen to me. Because God had that shyness of deference. God the Father as well. Each member of the Trinity is shy. Faithfully and selflessly to the other, giving them honor and glory. The Father, Son, and Spirit are so close that Jesus could say, I and my Father are one. The, the old Greek word that is used to describe that mutual indwelling that Jesus talked about is a, a Greek word called perichoresis. I'm not trying to impress you with Greek. But if you look at that word, you can see that it comes from the same root word as our word choreography. Someone has said, the Trinity exists as a kind of eternal dance of divine love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And this has profound significance for us because we are each made in the image of God. One of my favorite authors, Larry Crabb, described that this way. He said, we've all been created by an eternal community of three fully connected persons. When we're told that we bear God's image, we immediately know we were designed to connect with others. Connecting is life. Loneliness is the ultimate horror. In connecting with God, we gain life. In connecting with others, we nourish and experience that life as we freely share it. Rugged individualism, proud independence, and chosen isolation violate the nature of our existence as much as trying to breathe underwater. The capacities that distinguish us as human beings from all other creations, including angels and animals, were given to us so that we could connect with each other the way the three divine persons connect. I think that describes something of how deep our hunger is community to experience what God created us to know. God didn't create you and me because he was lonely or bored. God created us because he was so in love with community that he wanted a world full of people who could share that with him. He wanted to invite them all to this dance that they are doing. And life within the Trinity was to be the pattern for our lives as well. So God made us in his image. Theologians argue about exactly what that means, but I think if we go back to Genesis where it says that we understand something, it says God made them in his own image. He created them male and female, and the two can become one, just as the three divine persons are one. God created us to share in the kind of life that he has. What is most amazing is that God invites us into this fellowship of the Trinity. Just before he died, Jesus prayed that God's dream of oneness will be realized among his followers. In John 17, verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
May they also be one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. You and I have been invited into this fellowship of love. And that's why Jesus says, whenever two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst with you. He wasn't just talking about church services, folks. He's saying when we relate to somebody, when we connect to somebody in the name of Jesus with servanthood and submissiveness, Jesus isn't just going to be a bystander looking on from the sidelines. He's going to enter into that. He's going to empower that and infuse that with his own presence. He'll be a part of it, loving it, cheering it on. This is why the experience of authentic community is so life-giving. We're joining in fellowship with the true life himself. When we're in isolation, we feel lonely. It's not what God made us for. When we are in community, true community, authentic community, where we are truly known and truly loved, we experience what God created us to know. We experience what someone has called a full heart. I love the way Brennan Manning describes what that what that's like. He tells the story of a man named Ed Farrell who left his home in Detroit, Michigan and traveled to Ireland to be with his uncle who was about to celebrate his 80th birthday. He was there for a couple of weeks and as the, as the big day arrived, Ed and his uncle got up before sunrise and they made their way out to the shore of Lake Killarney. And they stood in silence as the sun came up and they watched the emerald green grass and the crystal blue waters. And he said they stood there motionless for a good 20 minutes. And finally, he said his uncle did the craziest thing. He began skipping along the shore lake with this grin on his face like a schoolboy in love. And at first, Ed didn't know what to do. He just stood there and watched. And finally, he, he, he ran and caught up with his uncle. And he said, Uncle Seamus, you appear to be so very joyful. You want to tell me why? And his uncle stopped and turned around. And he said with tears of joy streaming down his face, he said, yes. The Father is so fond of me. You see, me Father is so very fond of me. So it is in the fellowship of the Trinity. The Father is so very fond of you. This is the fellowship which we invited. One can make an 80-year-old heart dance and skip and cry and laugh with joy because of the Father's love. When Jesus prays for us to be invited to this divine circle, it's not a casual request. It was purchased with great cost by each of the members of the Trinity. The Son would go to the cross and bear my sins and yours and those of all the world and be alienated from the Father. The father who had spent an eternity in intimate relationship with the son and the spirit would know what it was for him to be separated from that one 
who was so precious. And the spirit would come to earth and be grieved and quenched and mistreated. But all at enormous cost, all of them welcome us in to be held in the heart of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And because of that, to fail to treasure this community, to fail to prize that, to do anything or to allow anything that would create discord in the relationship we have with one another and with God is utterly unthinkable. The Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say you can create some really good unity among you because it's beyond our ability to do. It comes from God himself. He has created it. He has entrusted it to us. And so to do anything in light of the staggering cost Father, Son, and Spirit have paid to create it, to allow it is fundamentally at odds with the purpose of God in human history. It may be common in our world. It is absolutely heartbreaking to our Father. The doctrine of the Trinity is honored when that oneness of spirit that characterizes it, that unity of the spirit is prized and treasured and revered by the church. Whenever people tolerate unresolved conflict in, in friendships or in families or in the church, whenever gossip and slander go unchecked and unconfronted, Whenever, whenever church leaders speak badly about others because they don't agree with them, the Trinity is dishonored. But every day, in a hundred different ways, you and I are either going to be moving this world a little further away from unity with God or a little closer to it. To live in and contribute to God's dream of community is the reason you were born. It's the reason you It's what you were created for. And it really doesn't matter how much success we have, the way the world keeps score. Doesn't matter what's on your resume doesn't matter how many possessions you accumulate, how much power you can wield, what kind of popularity and fame you may achieve. You miss out on this community that God created us for. We're missing out on the best he has to give us. On the other hand, no matter how little of all of those artificial success things other people have. If you and I experience this community that God created us to know, we will have a magnificent life.
because you see the Father is so very fond of us. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you from our hearts for inviting us to take place in the eternal circle of self-love. Help us to realize that every person we see, every moment of our lives is an opportunity to live in and extend the fellowship of the Trinity. God, we realize we have so many opportunities for that every day. Every time we encourage someone who feels defeated, every time we extend compassion to someone who stands alone, every time we forgive someone who has hurt us or open our heart to a friend, every time we devote ourselves to a child or reconcile with an enemy, you are aligning us with your central purpose in the world. Oh, Father, give us the to not get sucked into what the world says is success, but to experience that incredible community you have invited us into. In Jesus' name, and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.